It's not easy to come up with a profound and inviting prose to introduce podcast guests. I could recite stats and histories, but for most guests I want to chat with, that'd just take too, too long. And some have so much to say and are just so darned enthusiastic about coaching and teaching the game, it's best I just let them talk. Such is the case with Kim McCullough. I'm Richard Berkison, and this is Grassroots, the minor hockey show podcast. Rather than launch into her extensive history as a player and coach, I think I'll just drop in tidbits as we go. For now, she played a lot, coached a lot, teaches a lot, runs a program called Total Female Hockey out of Leaside in Toronto, and oozes passion for what she does. So, Kim, let's talk. Let's roll. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate the uh, the intro. You didn't put in talks a lot, but that I guess people will figure that out as we go. That that we'll find out al- along the path. Yes, but it, it. I know lots of people in hockey talk a lot when you're passionate about something, but the people who talk a lot normally have something really good to say. Well, hopefully, I, hopefully, I'm not uh, like the canned uh, NHL post game interview, right? We're no, all- no, I. I won't let that happen. No, no, no. All right. I appreciate it. Kim runs a program, as I mentioned, uh, in uh, Leaside, Leaside uh, Girls Hockey Program. She uh, was coaching there for a number of years. And this season in 2021, she is packing it in as for, as a formal coach of a team. Kim, why? Well, part of it is a role that I think I've always wanted to do with total female hockey when I first started the business 13 years ago which was to empower players and coaches to get to the highest level possible. So that's where I started 13 years ago. And then as I did more skills on the ice and more things, people wanted me to coach and then they wanted me to coach at a higher level and a higher level. And so I've had the great opportunity to coach, you know, at the, the provincial level with Lee side in the junior program. And I've done that for seven years and had hopefully a tremendous impact on the 17 or 18 players I got each year but it's somewhat limited. You're only coaching a small group of people. And again, part of it for me with Total Female Hockey was to, to reach as, as big and wide of an audience as possible. So with Side, we've got 1,600 players. We have almost 80 teams between House League and Rep. So taking a, a role where I'm a little bit more involved with everybody, so player development, coach development, culture development, allows me to do what I, I really love with Total Female Hockey. So it gets back to the true essence of why I started my business in the first place, um, which was to inspire everybody, not just the best of the best. And, you know, I, I didn't even learn to skate till I was 13. Some would argue, I still don't really know how, but um, you know, if, if, if I, I certainly wasn't elite right out of the gate and, and um, you know, I, I think there's, you know, passion and, and, and determination and drive to get better, you know, that's not just exclusively for double A players and, so those are the people I'm trying to empower both on the player side and the coach side. So that's how I ended up here. Now, seven years as the coach of the Side uh, junior girls team in the uh, PWHL. And you had some success. You were coach of the year one year back in 2015-16. And these are the tidbits I alluded to in the introduction. And you were with the National U18 program with a silver medal one year uh, as the head coach and a bronze medal as an assistant coach and the Canada Winter Games, working with a team, though, you say it's limiting. You, when you mean it's limiting in terms of the numbers of people you have an impact on, is that what you mean? 
Yes. So yeah, you know, you're, you're kind of, they're getting all of me, all 17 of them get all of me for the season, which is again, fantastic for those players and the families. And it does have an impact on a, a wider scope, obviously, if our team does well, or we do great things in the community, or we're personifying, you know, the wildcat way of doing things, that's going to have an impact as well. I don't mean to diminish that uh, and our role as quote unquote, the, the highest level team in the organization. But I mean, in terms of having your hands in and actually being able to go on the ice with a U11 team or a U13 team, um, because of the PWHL schedule, that that was quite limiting for me. Um, and so now I, I have a little bit more freedom, or I perceive that I do, I had to go in and, and, and have a little bit more of an effect on a greater group of people in that one-on-one environment. Now, coaching is a passion. Every one of us who has coached any number of years, and you've done it for a bunch of years, the very thought of not having a team seems totally foreign to us. Like I haven't, the last couple of years, I haven't coached a team. So are, are you going through, it's now the spring of 2021. Are you going through some withdrawal right now that you won't have an actual team of your own? Yes, I do believe now we've been in lockdown here in Toronto since November. So I've, I've been with the junior team doing things in the Zoomiverse since that lockdown. But uh, yeah, I am going through that withdrawal. I'm actually just in the process of putting together our our senior video for our graduating players. We have 10 players graduating. And um, so that's, you know, bringing up some emotion and, and some great memories. But uh, like I said, I'm, I'm still here and I'm still involved with all the teams. Um, I, I think it will be a transition. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not diminishing that. But in my first four years of running total female hockey, I didn't coach a team. Right. And I was, and that allowed me to do a lot more things that I, I actually miss in terms of events and, and speaking and, 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 and motivational and inspirational stuff uh, again with the junior team schedule, but just wasn't able to do that. So yeah. I think it's a balance, but my daughters will hopefully play. So I should be fine. All right. Do it. We'll, we'll get to the kids part of the, 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 of the discussion a little bit later, but because uh, you have three kids, another tidbit we're dropping in, you have six, four and three, six, five and three. Uh, one just turned five yesterday. So six, five, and three. Okay. Six, five, and three. So that's, that's a handful for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, getting back to the coaching part of it. Do you have any fear that once the season starts and you will be so involved with all the teams, mentoring, helping, teaching, assisting, that you would maybe finding yourself watching coaches going, geez, I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have done that. I think as a skills coach, I've done that for a long time. Uh, so you you watch how a coach teaches a particular skill or develops a skill and you sort of, you know, you, you immediately think, oh, that's not the right way of teaching the way to shoot or receiving a backhand pass. And so I think I have those sort of, um, you know, sort of quick reactions to go, ooh, like, are we really cementing down that type of, you know, skill for that, for that child or for that player? Um, but I do believe, like, I don't think... I've figured out a lot in coaching yet. I think when you first start, you think you know everything. And then when you've done it for 15 years or 20 years, you realize you know nothing. Um, So I'm quite open. And I figured out once I had kids that um, a lot of the parent coaches that are in our organization who maybe don't have the hockey background, uh, either playing or business-wise that I do, I can learn a tremendous amount from them. And that's kind of, once I had kids, that opened my eyes up a little bit. So, you know, in my role with Leeside, I certainly would, you know, if a coach was doing something that I didn't believe was great for the team culture, I think I would be quicker to judge or quicker to intervene as opposed to, hey, I just don't think that face-off's going to work. 
um, you know, I, I do think you, you are going to get yourself in trouble as a, a coach developer if you start dictating, you know, what power play they're going to run or um, what face-off plays to run. So, yes, I think I might internally judge, uh, hopefully will not externally judge unless it's, you know, the culture side of it, which I think is the most important piece of the puzzle. Well, you and I are, are two different sides of the same coin. You're on Lee's side and I'm working with the Whitby Girls Association in, in the Durham region. So we're a little bit east of you and, and our roles are somewhat similar. I'm not doing the fitness and conditioning stuff. I did that as a phys ed teacher a hundred years ago, but, uh, but we are both in, in the development side of coaching uh, or the development side of working with kids. What do skills people need to do more or less of, do you find? Well, I'll preface this saying I've not coached on the boys' side of the game at all. No, so right, right. I, 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 um, not to say that it's vastly different how you would teach skill, but perhaps in the girls' game, there's different things we need to prioritize. Um, something as basic as the way the girls hold their stick. And I think, Richard, you've got enough experience in the girls' game that, you know, there seems to be this chicken wing effect where our hands gravitate towards our body that I've just never seen. Long sticks, Kim, lots of I know. long sticks. And so a lot of that is, is education and, you know, getting the hands away, building the box, whatever terms you use. You know, I'm big, big on teaching things that have maximum impact, right? So teaching a girl how to hold her stick properly with her hands away is going to fix stick handling, passing, shooting, receiving. It's going to fix a lot. Uh, so those are the things I tend to key in on on a more global scale. Um, but I think, now, okay, but now on the, no, on the, on the subject of sticks, mm -hmm. and this is an age old issue. Cause I remember doing this with hockey schools 30, 35 years ago, where you'd gather the parents in a room, you say, we're going to cut their sticks. So they're at whatever length, chin, mouth, neck, you know, whatever you choose, we're going to cut their sticks and the parents would go berserk. So I remember at hockey school, we would meet with the parents on the Sunday the day before the school started and we'd come out with a couple of saws and we take the, we said, bring their kids and their sticks. We're going to check their lengths. We're going to cut them right here, right now. What, what have you done to deal with this? Well, I do it. I'll, I'll do it live. Like in the skill sessions that I have, which tend to have a, a mix of levels uh, more so like a, a U15 with a U21 or, or that sort of thing, all generally a or double a or B like, I try to group them together by relative ability. And often I'll give them my stick. My stick is very short um, for the reasons of how I played the game. Uh, I was a very in tight, in traffic kind of player and scorer. So I didn't really need the big reach or, you know, the booming slap shot. So that was a essential for the way I played the game. But, but that was often, as an adult. Sorry? That was as an adult. Absolutely. So with the kids... I will quite often, some of these players who are quite a bit shorter than me, their sticks are actually taller than mine. Uh, so it can be as easy if they shoot right to hand the stick over, but mm -hmm. I'll often have them trade around in the skill session um, and say, oh, try this out, try this out. I have a left-handed stick I put on the bench as well. That's the same height as mine. So I think a lot of it is, you know, the proof has to be in the pudding before you chop it off. You can actually just like move your hand down the stick and try it like that. You don't, doesn't have to be quite so curt right away. Um, but I have yet to advise someone to cut their stick who didn't do it. And everyone that did it instantly felt, oh, well, it took a session or two, but I pass better. I stick handle better, you know, and 
they're typically, like you said, the girl's sticks are too long. They hold the stick too tight in their body, which means their shooting mechanics are not good. If you cut the stick, they have to switch the shooting mechanics and eventually it gets better. But that's the one area that suffers the most and that is as visible to them. But I always say to them, how many shots do you take a game? Right? And I would say in elite girls hockey, someone who shoots a lot might take seven shots a game. And that's a, that's dominant, a, a yeah. dominant player. So let's say yeah. three is an average player. So if you're cutting your stick or having a stick length that makes your shot better, but compromises your stick handling, right? Your puck control, your puck protection, your passing, that's what you're doing most of the rest of the game. Uh, so to me, when I explain it like that with the girls and they love to know why, when I explain it in that way to them, they're very open to cutting the stick. Um, and I explain it in the same way with the parents. Um, you know, if you've got the younger kids in the room, um, you know, you wish you, we still had wood sticks that cost 20 bucks, eh? And it wouldn't feel so hard to get it wrong if you cut it too short. Yeah, I wouldn't feel so guilty about it if, you know, now they're spending 150, 200 bucks on a stick. I go out and wait for the sales and I buy a $50 stick. Mind you, you haven't seen me shoot. So it doesn't make a whole lot of difference to me. But so back to my original question on this little segment was about what do skills instructors in your view have to do better and more of or less of? Well, I think if we're in a, in a camp environment, it's different than a team environment. So I'll focus on a right. camp environment. Um, with the girls, I think it's introducing the concept of East-West in the game much more early. Uh, the girls' hockey game still tends to be very much North-South. You know, who's the fastest? Everyone's trying to beat to the outside. So I think, you know, introducing that ability to skate on a diagonal, to execute skills on a diagonal or an East-West is can be introduced at any age group and is translatable the whole way up and through. Um, so even, you know, just watching drills that just go straight in a straight line, even if you just did it corner to corner, you're starting to plant that seed of it. So I don't think you need to revolutionize what you're doing, but maybe change the direction or change the angle. And that will get you, you know, a little bit of that um, change of direction into the game. Well, the, certainly in order to do that from a tactical standpoint, and maybe tactical is too strong a word for what you described, but we'll use that for now. The, the kids need to be able to cross their feet with confidence. They need to be able to change direction to, you know, to go 120 degrees, to go 90 degrees, to do a cutback and do a, you know, a 45 degree turn or 135 degree turn or something, you know, that they have to be able to be more agile on their skates. Far too much stuff on the boys side too. Far too much stuff is linear straight line. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree. And I think, you know, having been in Toronto and watched a lot of skills instruction over the year, you know, you have a rink with six pads in it. You're going to see 12 skills instructors by the time you go in and come out, everyone's a little different. You know, I think now in, in the skills side, everyone is prioritizing edge work and linear crossovers and cutbacks. It, it would be quite rare, I think, to see a skills instructor who doesn't hit on that stuff. But I, to your point, how does that translate over to a team tactical side of it? Right, and I think right, that's right. the connecting of the dots, right? You and I can easily just set up a bunch of cones and jump over mm -hmm. this and turn and the kid will get sweaty. And, you know, they've worked on skills. But until you tell the player, well, here's where you would use it. Here's how this might apply defensively, offensively, coming off the wall on a breakout, coming off the wall in the offensive zone. So, 
you know, I know for me, and when we do skills, you know, you, there's, you're going to have the high repetition drills, and then you're going to have the game-like drills. But in between that is cementing those concepts. And, and again, with the girls, knowing why, right? If you're teaching puck protection off the wall, hey, you're a D, you might use this a little more on the breakout. Hey, you're a forward, you might use this a little bit more on puck recovery off a shot in the offensive zone. But it's the same skill, right? It's the same edge work. It's the same stick work. It's the same use of your head. So I think that's the connecting the dots and, and showing how it actually works in the game. And I think if you're a skills instructor and you're doing stuff that you can't explain to someone how it might work in a game, you perhaps want to ask yourself, why am I doing this skill? And I'm not saying jumping over a thing isn't useful. It challenges players in a certain way. It's fun in a certain way, but you need to be able to explain that, especially with the girls, right? They, they won't just do it blindly. Now, you did mention that you started playing hockey rather late at 12 or 13 years old. Yep. And uh, as I said in the intro again, that, you know, we'll drop in the tidbits. You played uh, D1 at Dartmouth College. You were their captain. You were their leading scorer. Uh, you know, so you've had a pretty successful career after college playing professionally in, in the National Women's Program. How does somebody start hockey at age 12 or 13 and get to that? Now, did you play a bunch of other sports? Are you just one of those disgusting people I hate who's well-coordinated and able to do any sport that they try? Uh, yes, <laughs> I am. Okay. Uh, well, you know, I, I would say some people might argue otherwise, but I, I, did, I did play uh, soccer and basketball with the boys since I was four or five years old. Um, and still am a quintessential tomboy. So I think a lot of that. Nobody uses that anymore. Tomboy. Nobody's used tomboy in like 40 years. Come on. Well, that's how old I am. So I guess I'm okay. All right. There you go. Um, that's fine. I will work on my vocabulary, but, um, yeah. So I think for me that, you know, that athleticism, uh, you know, I had to figure out how to skate, but I wrote, I had rollerbladed before I started to play hockey. Um, but my understanding of, you know, athleticism, positioning, moving balls into space, protecting the ball when you're trying, you know, to defend or, or attack in basketball, those absolutely translate over hockey. And I think in the late nineties, when I headed down to Dartmouth, I do think, you know, we had a lot of great athletes who just happened to choose hockey. Um, and I would have been one of those people. I had the, uh, the P word, right. The most dangerous word in hockey, which is potential. Um, so I was a big nerd, uh, did very well in school and had this huge P of potential. And so I was able to write my ticket to pretty much any school I wanted to, um, probably, you know, less cause I was some superstar on the ice and more because they could project by the time I was getting recruited, I'd only played five years of hockey. Right. And so they could easily look at me and go, okay, she started at 13 and she got to here. Perhaps by the time she's 22, she might get to here. And uh, I think that was actually an advantage of me or for me, right? You always had a bit of imposter syndrome, wondering if they'd finally figure out you really didn't know what you were doing. Um, so it forced you to work harder because you knew you were behind the eight ball. There's no way I came in at 13 and was like, I'm great. But I was not. Um, and I think that helped me a lot in my why did my you uh, Why did you even start hockey? Uh, well, one of the girls that I played, well, I always played with the boys in soccer and one year, finally, another girl joined who, uh, had moved from another place and joined the team. And then in winter she left because she was a high level hockey player. And so I was sad that my friend, the only other girl left. 
So uh, in a, you know, in the grand gesture of nepotism, her dad who coached Bantam put me on the Bantam double A team after one year of house league. Cause we were friends and uh, thankfully he did. Um, and that was sort of the catapult to, to get me where I wanted to be. So she sort of introduced it to me. And ironically, she was the junior coach at Leaside before I was. And she and I both run hockey schools in Toronto. Um, and, you know, we still see each other all the time at the rink. So that was really where it, it came from was that want to have another girl on my team and to play with. So looking back on it now, starting as late as you did, which is really unusual, never mind the success that came seven years later or six years later, but to start hockey at that age and continue to play um, is, uh, is not only unusual, but it's actually kind of inspiring because girls who, whose parents would be listening to this would say, well, you know, my daughter's 10. She has no way of why should she even start? And you don't have to be a natural athlete to do it. Just, just go, just do it. Absolutely. Quote Nike. But when you reflect on, on your starting point in hockey, what skills do you think you could have benefited more from in, in the teaching from coaches or hockey camps? Ooh, great question. I, I think for me, like I, I always needed to have quicker feet, better edges. And I think that having started so late um, probably wasn't a priority for me. I'm also sort of a bigger, stronger type of kid. So I found success early on starting that late using my body and my strength to just drive around people. Um, and so I, because it was working and I was, you know, starting so late in the game, I kind of stuck with that. So I became what everyone on the call would call like the quintessential power forward, you know, lean in, protect the puck, go into the dirty areas, get them, move it, get to the front of the net score. That was me. Now I played D uh, ironically up until I went to college, my first practice at college, they flipped me from D to forward. I never played forward a shift in my whole life. Um, but I certainly would have uh, benefited a lot from, you know, more of the stuff I teach now, <laughs> you know, the, the transition, the quickness. Um, but the stuff I did do, like strides and, you know, protecting the puck and, you know, kind of more the North South old school stuff that you and I are familiar with. Um, it worked really well for me based on how I played the game. And so, you know, if had, had I been a tiny little one, <laughs> not as big as I am, I, I, I think that lack of the, the East West, the edge work, all of that would have hurt me a lot more. Um, you know, but the little, uh, I guess, skill that I had, or that, you know, the not so much depth or breadth of skill actually worked really well into my wheelhouse. So it, it just happened to fit well. So as a skills instructor and as, and as a coach, have you found yourself perhaps compensating in your teaching for some of the stuff you didn't have that you know the kids should have had or should have? I you, would mentioned say, edge, you mentioned edge work as one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... Again, I'm not saying I never did it back then, but I do think, you know, the blending of it into, you know, we did crossovers around the circle and, and those types of things, you know, ad nauseum or, you know, the pivots forward and back. Um, you know, we still did the same skills, right? But I think there's a lot more creativity now on how to blend them together and, um, you know, and to put them into a game type of scenario. I think when I was a kid at hockey schools, you did a lot of things in isolation, Right we're going to do stride for 45 minutes. We're going to do shooting for 20 minutes, but it didn't ever necessarily all come together 
uh, and get blended back together in the end. So I, I would say, actually, I think a lot of the things I did well still work extremely well in girls hockey, right? The ability to, to use contact to your advantage with and without the puck, right? To be able to lean in, to go into the front of the net. And you and I both know 85% of the goals in girls hockey are scored from the hash marks down, right? Maybe the top of the circle, right? So if you're willing and able and excited to go in there and battle for pucks on lift sticks, you're going to have a lot of success on the offensive side of the puck. Um, and so those things I still teach a lot of, it brought me a lot of success back then, but it still works now. Um, so those, that I think is getting forgotten a little bit. Um, and it actually translates really well over to the girls game. Who were your mentors or teachers for teaching skills? Where did you get your own teaching chops from? Well, when I was a kid, I only went to one hockey school, which is uh, hockey extreme by Dave Tremblay. And he's still, you know, still teaching now. So I think I must have started with him when he was in his first or second year of, of running his, uh, his camps. And, you know, I still see him around the rinks all the time now. So he, he was sort of the one who, that was really the only camp I went to. And that's rare now. Everyone goes to 46 different skills instructors. Um, my, my experience was quite myopic. It was sort of that one guy um, and going to the outdoor rink. And, and I think actually that's where I learned the most of my stuff. We can talk about that later. Um, so that's where I, I learned it to start. And then of course, you know, once you're in college and playing pro, you're doing hockey camps here and there with your buddies or, or that sort of thing. So I am definitely an avid reader and learner. So I'm, you know, I'm excited to watch different skill videos and try them out and see how they might work for me. Um, but I would say, you know, Dave would be the one on the on ice side. And then uh, when I was at Dartmouth, I, the day I graduated from Dartmouth, I went and started um, a strength and conditioning internship with Mike Boyle, who's a, a big name in strength and conditioning, but certainly in the hockey world. And I spent four months there, uh, coaching athletes of all different levels. And a lot of what I learned that summer, uh, I still use now. So I was very fortunate to have, I guess that would be more on the skills side, but even my coaches I had all the way through, I had a, a former national team coach when I was at Leaside, Dave McMaster coached the team in 90 where they weren't pink and white. Uh, I had Steph White, who's an athletic director now, but coached for a long time in female hockey. Uh, my college coach was fantastic. Uh, I've, I've not really had, you know, many, experiences with like what we might call a bad coach or had a negative coaching experience. So I think they taught me a lot more on the way to do things. And that translates, you know, to the hockey camps as well. Do you consider yourself a technician? Hmm. Define what you mean by that, I guess would be. My view of a technician, which is, I always saw myself as that going back to my early days in teaching and coaching is somebody who can look at a, at a kid's skating stride, puck handling ability, uh, understand where they are biomechanically, know where they've got to get to over the course of, let's say, the week of a hockey school or five more months of the hockey season, be able to break down the skill, understand what the key components are of the skill, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I wouldn't necessarily use that word to describe myself. I, I often call myself a fixer. Um, so if I, you know, teams will say, oh, well, like my power play doesn't work or, oh, we can't break out. And so then I can go in in a team environment and say, well, you know, I can watch them run a couple drills or go see them in a game and say, okay, well, here's what you need to do from a, more from a concept. I would say I'm more of a concept person, like 
a little bigger picture, not all the way out, but a little bit more out um, than just pure skill. So being able to kind of tie the systems of the game and the skills of the game together, that's my happy place is that middle ground. Um, so, you know, I, again, going back to what I was talking about earlier, if I see a player skating around, I I'm thinking, what's the one thing I could teach her that would have the maximum impact. If I had right. an hour with yes. her, yeah, how could I, you know, cause I wouldn't be able to fix 10 things in that hour. No, I could maybe fix one or two. Right. So what could I teach that player in that hour that the next time she goes on the ice, people are saying, Whoa, what happened to her? And that's the way I look at it from a, a player development perspective and a team development perspective. I, I want to be focused on what we're working on and try to get them as far through the A to Z as possible in that hour, right? So if they get A to C or A to F or A to X, they're always going to start at the same spot. And how far can I get them along the way? Would you say as a general statement again, because I know you're only talking about one group of coaches that you're going to be spending or have spent time with in Leaside. Mm -hmm. But would you say that it's in general that minor hockey coaches on the girls' side now don't really have a handle on what you just said, which is, or actually any minor hockey coach, boys or girls' side, have a handle on identifying an issue. In order for that child at 8, 12, or 16 to be able to turn better, they must be able to do this one thing better. If I can get that one thing better, I can go to the next component. Yep. Well, that would be, you know, a progression, right? Within a skill sure. development piece, right? So where, where are kind of the, the sticking points that are preventing them? You know, so if you have a player who isn't great at getting on, like into the balls of her feet, you know, it's going to be limiting in terms of agility and those, and those things are relatively easy to identify if you're on the ice with the player, but it takes a long time to fix it, especially if you're working with a 15, 16, 17, sure. you know, who's been doing it wrong for a long time. Right. Um, but I, I always try to explain to coaches, like to me, the, the concepts are the bridge, right? So if you tell me you want to run um, a one, two, two, four check or a two, one, two, four check, that's your team for checking system, right? What skills do those players meet, need to be able to have? Okay, so they got they got to be able to skate. They got to be able to stick positioning, blah blah blah. But the key concept is how to angle effectively, right? So there's all the skills that go. But you know, if you know how to angle, it actually doesn't matter what forecheck coach says you need to do. You know, you'll just understand. Okay, I have to angle in because we're running this. You know, hard two one two behind the net, or I have to angle out because we're running a more passive one two two, or whatever that is, right? So I think that's you know, where I um, sort of see my, my, my happy place is understanding how to bring the systems and the skills together. And then the drills you use to teach those concepts are, I think, the meat and potatoes um, of what most practices should look like. Well, when, when coaches talk about something like angling, I agree with you 100% that, you know, you can't teach forechecking unless the kids can understand the concept of angling, which is a judgment, which is very difficult. Seven-year-olds don't get it. Nine-year-olds may start to get it. 11-year-olds, they may, but under pressure, not so much, and so on and so on. But if they don't have the physical tools, which separates hockey from any other team sport, with the ex possible exception of polo, where you got to get the horse to turn left and right, you know. But other than that, uh, and of course, water polo, if the horses can't swim, then you're up the creek. That's a joke, Tim. Yeah. I got it. Okay. But with, with something like angling, if the kids can't turn, 
can't hold their sticks properly, don't understand one hand versus two hand, don't understand that a tight turn is based on the head and shoulders turning first, not the stick turning. If you can't turn your head and shoulders, you can't do a tight turn properly. Therefore, you'll never be able to angle properly. That's where we need to start with, with a lot of the kids. Would you not agree? Oh, I agree completely. But I think, you know, I was just speaking to a coach before you and I got in the call and, and it, it, the challenge with hockey is, you know, you have to be, um, multitask all the time. Yeah. You, you're never going to be the master of anything, no. right? You're jack yeah. of all trades, master of none. And so, you know, you do want to have some kind of, you know, game plan. We're going to play like this. You have to have some sort of intention on your breakout, right? Of We'd like to break out off the wall, ideally, right? Like they're, they're, those basic principles of play have to be in place no matter what age group you're at. And I agree, you need to build that skill foundation throughout. It never changes. Uh, just, you know, you get further along the curriculum, right? That's the way I look at it. But I think a lot of it too is, you know, your vocabulary and the way you bring it back. So, you know, they, they talk about whole part whole, right? And you might argue the whole is, well, we're running a two, one, two, four check. You know, with a, a seven-year-old, the whole might be angling. Yes. Just angle. Yes. Don't worry about a four check. That's right. not even a thing I'm going to use. I may not even right. use that word with a U7. Right. Angling might be the top of the mountain, right? But they do need to understand what that bigger piece is, I think, or at least that concept. Um, right. And your team and your coaches and the players all have to use similar vocabulary and words so that it's translatable, you know, up and down the bench from player to player and from team to team. Uh, that's the bigger challenge, of course, is to get that that shared vocabulary. But uh, yeah, there's there's never no one's ever going to be too perfect on the skill side of it. Uh, there's always going to be more to reinforce and teach on that side. You mentioned earlier that a lot of your your own learning of the game took place on the outdoor rinks. Absolutely, I actually think that's where I became a good hockey player. All right, the how many girls do that now? Nobody did it then either. I was the only one. Oh, were you? But, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, at least at the rink I was at. It's just a community rink close to where I lived. But right. yeah, I used to go over there and they had, um, I think the, the first age cutoff was 14. So right when I started playing, I was 13. And so that was, you know, beginner. I can't remember what they called it. And so I was desperate because I knew when I, once I turned 14, I had to go up to the next age group. I couldn't show up with the little kids anymore. So I was like, oh, I better get good enough or else like these 16 year olds are going to laugh me off the rink. So I would walk to the rink and I would say, okay, hey, today I'm going to like touch the puck. Like I would actually like, this would be the goal. And then the next time it would be like, okay, now I'm going to steal the puck and give it to someone else. Right. And then eventually it'd be like, I'm going to get open. So someone might actually want to pass to me and et cetera, and et cetera, et cetera. So I had no illusions of grandeur that I was going to go over there and dominate. Right. But it actually was, I do remember consciously thinking, okay, if I want to play with these guys and, you know, no one's got matching jerseys and everyone's sticks are thrown in the middle and you don't know anyone's name, right? I mean, if you think about it, that's the ideal way to learn, okay, who was on my team and which way do they shoot? And all the, all the dark jackets, play? all the dark jackets are my team. All the lighter jackets are We didn't team. even do that with the kids. That would have been too <laughs> complicated for us. It was just okay. like the yeah. six of you are on one team and the six of you are on the other team. And now you actually have to think. Right. But when you're the only girl and you're the worst player on the ice, ain't nobody passing you the puck out of goodwill of their heart. So I had to go and steal it. I got quite good at stealing the puck from people. And then I had to figure out how, what do I do next once I have it? And then eventually, by the time I went off to Dartmouth, 
you know, I was playing with the adult guys and they wouldn't let me get off the ice because uh, I was more fit than the rest of them. But I actually think that was my, my university. Like that was my real progression was going over there and the same guys every night that I was playing with same boys, right? Oh, now I can go around this guy. Oh, I never used to be able to steal the puck off him or I could never catch up to him before. Right. That's, that's an interesting approach that you took that. Can I touch the puck once? Can I touch the puck four times? Can I steal the puck once? That if we play small area games with kids in practice, which I'm sure you do. And you were to pose that question to the kids who, you know, are the bottom third of the team. How many times can you touch the puck in this scrimmage? Just touch it. Absolutely. But that's a reasonable goal versus the older or, you know, the most skilled kid say, okay, you're only allowed to score with your backhand, right? I had a skill session uh, last week before the lockdown where I had a Team Canada player, a junior player, a midget AA player, and a Bantam A player. We played two on two at the end, you know, with the nets behind, turned around. And the Team Canada kid was only allowed to score from this side of the net, bank it off the wall on your backhand, right? The Bantam A kids just trying to get a pass. You know, when she gets the pass from the Team Canada kid, she's just trying to not let it ricochet off her stick. Right. So you're setting different goals within the same game for the same players. I mean, that's a hugely different skill level. Right. Sure. But you might have that in, in the, you know, the community you're in. You might have a kid who is true. You know, you might have an A team where you have a bunch of one or two true double A's and five or six true B's. But you're actually an A team. There's a huge disparity. We don't mm-hmm. have that issue in Whitby or in, in Toronto. Right. Usually the teams are a little more homogeneous because your association and mine have a lot of players. Right. But you can see in smaller communities there, you, there could be a huge difference top right. to bottom on any given right. team. So you've got three kids. And when we talked uh, earlier in the week, you mentioned that that has really changed your approach as uh, as a coach, as a teacher. Um, in what way has it changed your approach? Well, I think once you become a parent, it, how you speak to kids changes the way you treat your players changes uh, because before they were always someone else's kid. You didn't have your own kid to realize like, you know, and, and my kids are a bit older now, but when I speak to them in a certain way, they react in a certain way. And when I say, don't do this, that was bad or blah, blah, blah. Like I see their reaction far too many times on a given day. Right. Like it, you know, whereas before in hockey, I, my experience with kids was just these kids in a competitive environment. You know, I didn't, necessarily think as much about how the words affected them and 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 those and I, I wouldn't say I'm I was mean back then and now I'm nice you know my players always say well you're 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 not not nice that's <laughs> that's how I get described you're not not nice I'm like okay I'm so double negative but sure um so I think that that was the big change for me once my my kids got a little bigger you know when they're a little potato you're just trying to get enough sleep to stay alive right but now that they're actually small humans, um, I have a, a much deeper understanding of empathy, right? For parents and for the players themselves, right? So I, I think you you see, I see myself now through the eyes of the parents more um, and how my actions might affect their children um, than I ever did before. I, I never, I, I, I never dismissed the parents completely. I was like, I don't talk to parents. I've never been that coach but I actually can put myself in their shoes now and say, Oh, now I get it. (laughs) And that wasn't the case early before even I had kids, you know, and this is a, another tidbit. I think I mentioned 
Um, my husband is, is not a hockey person. He's a computer science professor and he's also Russian. And so I'm not sure how many Russians you've met in your life or anyone on the call, but like there is only black and white. There is no like, you know, there's no fishing for compliments. There's no telling you what you want to hear. It's very clear. Right. And, and, you know, I would argue in society now, everything's a little hedging your bets. I don't necessarily want to clearly be on this side of the fence or the other. So once I met my husband nine years ago, that started to change how I coached first and foremost, that I, I had a lot less gray area and I'd started to be a little bit more clear with my players um, exactly what I did or didn't want them to do. Um, and then, you know, once I had kids again, that, that shifted it as well. But I, I do think, you know, we talk about things in minor hockey, like entitlements and, you know, the parents are, I don't even know what the right term is anymore. Helicopter bulldozer. I don't know. Um, you know, and I, and I think, you know, coaches who, you know, played in the nineties, eighties, seventies, kind of wistfully think about those days when you could just, you just had to go hard and no one really complained or sent an email or whatever. Um, so it's different, you know, it's different, but, um, you know, I think my life experience outside of the rink has absolutely colored my, the way I do things inside the rink now, um, has been in a, in a, in a good way. Now, how does this all translate into your role as running a development program or a mentorship program or high performance program or all those pieces in Leaside? What are the kinds of lessons you are trying to take from those experiences and apply them to work with kids and coaches in this new world of yours? It's a new world of mine. I think the number one thing for me has always been, you know, I know I am a role model for, for better or for worse uh, because of the background I have um, where I played, I played at Leaside. I only ever played at Leaside. So I am, you know, I'm, you know, that success story, you know, that one kid started at 13 and made it. Um, and so I've always acted accordingly. Um, and I've always thought that I'm representing the organization as well as myself. So, you know, that, you know, pervades into my belief of culture is the most important thing we can have in a hockey association, right? So not just the what it's we so, do. You know, Kim, it sounds like you're carrying that mantle heavily on your shoulders. Oh, absolutely not. No, I have no, no problem. Okay. With I'm not perfect um, by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm very authentic. <laughs> I am who I am. And I would argue I'm probably very similar to the 13-year-old version of Kim. Um, I am, I, I don't, you know, I don't pretend to be something I'm not. Uh, and I think that's a very positive thing in a, in a role model, uh, especially in female hockey who happens to be female. Um, so, you know, for me, the culture piece of it is by far the most important piece of the puzzle. So not just the what we do, but the why we do it and the how we do it. And, and we call that the wildcat way. I, mean, I know we joked about that earlier. You're also the wildcats in Whitby. So, you know, there's no trademark on it yet. So you have a little time to steal it. But I'll that do something me, with it. I'll steal it in some other way. I'll find a way. Yeah. Not a problem. But that to me is, is the most important piece of the puzzle is being who we are authentically Lee side and not looking outside and going, Oh, well, this organization is doing this. So this, you know, let's, let's focus on ourselves, strengthen what we're already strong at, amplify that, which I think is a problem with women and with girls hockey. We get way too focused on our weaknesses, right? We really should be amplifying and turning up the volume on our strengths um, so I think that's the, the most important thing is, you know, I have this cool opportunity at the association I grew up playing for 
to really have a, a huge impact on the way we do things and the why we do things the way we do it. Uh, and I'm not taking that lightly. Um, and I and I don't know if I would look at it differently if it was an organization I didn't grow up grow up playing in. But I'm I'm very lucky to have this opportunity here. What do you need to learn? To delegate. Uh, I'm an I'm an entrepreneur. I've, I've I've not really worked for anyone else in my life. Um, my parents are both well. They, they my dad was a businessman and then he became an entrepreneur. My mom has always worked for herself. So I come by it honestly. Um, but in doing that, in running your own business and all, you tend to just, you, you wear all the hats, you do all the roles, right? Um, and, you know, even when I was coaching the junior team, sometimes I would, you know, be overwhelmed with the amount of stuff. So I have started to learn to delegate um, and to be, you know, I would say when you delegate, you're, you're actually being vulnerable, right? Because you're handing off a piece of the pie to someone else and, and trusting that they'll get it done. And, given what I do with total female hockey, you know, I can do the workouts. I can do the mental training. I can talk about nutrition. I can teach the skills. I can teach the systems, you know? So in a team environment early on, it was hard for me to let go of those. Right. Because I, I knew, I knew how to do them really well. Right. But then it becomes a, a monotone voice over and over. Now that I'm dealing with 1600 players instead of 17 players, right. My focus is really on the empowerment of the coaches because they're the ones who then go to their own teams and connect between their teams at their le levels. And they are really the ones who are gonna carry forth the message that I have, right? But also honoring and, and, and recognizing their strengths. You know, like I'm, I'm not an Excel person. You give me an Excel spreadsheet, I'm like, it's just, it might as well be Greek. Like I write everything on paper with like different color pens. That's the way my brain works. You know, arrows going all over the place. So, um, you know, when you're talking about how you're gonna run a database for player development for 1600 players, that can't happen in a notebook with arrows. I need to delegate that to someone versus, you know, I personally don't think that's a good use of my time to spend all the time learning how to, you know, X and Y and Excel. Like I wanna strengthen my strengths and stick with the things I'm really good at and amplify those for the organization. So yeah, this, this year has been a little bit of a learning curve. I mean in a COVID year, I'm not sure. Uh, it's a true representation of what the entire job will look like, but it did allow me to get you know a little further forward on some things that I'm not as comfortable with uh, because skill development and going in and mentoring coaches on ice, I'm very comfortable with that, right? So I didn't get to do that this year. It, it allowed me to focus on a lot of things that, you know, I wouldn't well, necessarily be so comfortable with. So when I asked you, you know, what, what do you need, what do you need to get better at? You said delegate, but let's look for, let's look at it from, two different angles now one is as a skills instructor what do you feel you need to be better at uh, as, a, as a skills instructor i think what I, I i want to be better at um is making sure that we are now presenting things in a like a a more cohesive way and by that i mean if we're going to work on you know outside edges or whatever like it's got to be a, an hour long session that takes you from, you know, one piece to another piece. I think when I started skills instruction, it was, you had six different stations, they were all doing different things. And you're frantically trying to get all the, you know, instructors on the right page, about what's going to come next and how you're going to rotate through. And you know, it was chaos, right? Whereas now, right, I want the message to come from me it can be six stations still, but they're all doing the same thing, right? And empowering my instructors to understand you know, what the progressions and regressions are within that drill and me being able to float around and give those pieces of feedback. That's something I really just started doing more of this year. 
Um, not once I knew that I wasn't going to be bench coaching and I'd have more time and I would probably be running a lot more skill sessions. I started running them in a different way. Right. So I was kind of like, Hey, I wanted you to leave after the hour and be able to insert this in your game immediately. That's my goal now, whether it's a team environment or an individual environment, I don't want you to you know, go to mom and dad and say, Oh yeah, I sweated a lot. I want you to say, Oh, I really worked how to get my hands away when I'm getting a pass on the off wing so I can get a shot off. I'm really excited to try it in my game tomorrow night. So that, yeah, that, that's somewhat similar, or I would say more parallel to my view, teaching those kinds of skills on the ice, which I did for years, mostly in hockey schools, where my objective was for whatever I was working on, that the child would leave the ice better able to do it than when they came on the ice. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think for me, knowing that I will be doing more skills instruction, I'm going to need to empower and delegate to more of my skills instructors. So I need more clarity on exactly what we're doing, how to teach it, what to look for. It all goes back to communication, right? So I'm able to say to those instructors, here's what it should look like. Here's what it shouldn't look like. If you see this, try this, right? And again, when you're just running six or seven stations and everyone's just chaos, there's a different expectation there. Like when you're trying to actually deliver, you know, A to F in the curriculum, right? You have to hit, you know, various checkpoints along the way. So I, I think it will be, you know, and, and no differently than if, if we're going in and talking to coaches and here's how you have to communicate with your assistant coaches, or, you know, I think when you can finally uh, get to a point where you can sort of, I, I like a piece of paper, uh, like mentality. If I can, capture you know the four check and here's the six drills we're going to use and here's the four skills we really need to focus and here's what we're trying to do on the four check and i can give you a piece of paper then i actually really know what i'm talking about as the head coach i really understand like where we're going here and it's the same for me for skill development there's a million different ways we could teach outside edges right what are the three or four drills that we're going to do and we're going to hammer home and that we're going to be focused on instead of, Ooh, I really like what I saw on Instagram. So I'm going to change and I'm going to change and I'm going to change. Then I don't think you confidently know what course you're taking. If you're constantly switching it up. Now, one of your roles is going to be spending more time mentoring coaches. Correct? Yep. Yes. So in comes somebody will say me or somebody like me, who's, you know, been around for ages or Wally Kozak who we know and so on. Somebody comes in and, and you say to that person, I need some mentoring on my mentoring. What do you need mentoring on, do you think, as well, a mentor? What, what, as a mentor, do I need to be mentored on? Well, right. I have already, you know, leaned on people like Wally who've done this on a, a larger scale. Like, similar to you, I do some coach evaluations with, you know, through Hockey Canada um, not too, too many, but I have done all the D1 evaluations in our organization for a number of years. And I've been involved with HP1 and as a group leader. So I've done some coach mentoring in that regard. Um, I think the biggest piece of it for me is going to be, you know, no different than a team, making sure you're, you know, getting enough touches with each player, getting enough touches with each coach, that it's consistent. You know, the messaging is consistent across the board. I think for me, I already know I, it's going to be easier for me to go to the high performance program, right? Those five teams. And like, those would be easier for me to mentor. Cause I, that's the level I've coached. That's, that's your world. Yes. That's my world right yes. now. 
I know I need to spend a lot more time with the U9 and U11 and U7 and all that kind of stuff. And the double right? B coaches and the B coaches. Absolutely. And the coaches. Absolutely. And so, you know, and so what can, what's translatable all the way through absolutely is culture, right? And so there should be no difference in culture between, you know, the, the why and the how we do things at junior is how we do it at the U7s. It might be a different level of focus, right? So that part I'm quite comfortable with. To me, it's more that consistency of delivery, you know, on the day-to-day, -day, right? So people's perception is their reality. They know I'm the former junior coach. They know all, most of the high-performance coaches used to be my players. Like a lot of them used to play for me. And so, again, like that's a connection that other people might think, oh, well, Kim's just here to boost up the high-performance program. She's not really paying attention to us at B or at, you know, U9 or U11 or those types of things. So, you know, I, I don't want to spread myself too thin, which I think is going to be the biggest challenge in this role. Um, but I will certainly lean on, you know, people like, you know, the Wallies of the world who've done this for a long time to say, how do I make this impact? How do I get this message across without, you know, getting myself too tied in with any particular group, but it's still effective, right? I don't want to just throw them a, a binder and say, here you go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, no. Is, is there a danger? And I use the danger in air quotes here because I, it, I really mean the term loosely mm -hmm. that here we have someone like yourself, very accomplished uh, master's degree in, is it kinesiology or exercise science or one of those? Uh, it's like neuroscience, kinesiology, neuroscience something like that. Some, something like that. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you have a master's, you have a graduate degree and you've played high level hockey, you've coached at a high level, um, is there a wow factor that is a little bit dangerous for the coaches, the vast majority of whom will never get anywhere near the kind of experiences that you've had as a coach, let alone as a player? Well, yeah, we talked about that when I handed off the junior team, right? And, and so I'm just in the process of kind of completing that handoff mm. to someone who's coached college hockey and she's coached, we've coached together in the past. She's helped me the last two years. You know, but I kind of use the term like I'm going to cast a big shadow on that program if I'm too close. Right. So if I was one of her assistants, that actually would be really bad for her and it probably yes. wouldn't be good for me. Right. right? right. So I, I do think and, you know, the midget double A coach, I coached her in high school. I coached her at university. She was my assistant for four years. You know, I don't want to be too involved with her because she's already probably speaking a lot of the same language. But, you know, when I walk in the room, yes, I do have, I guess, a little bit of that clout or I cast that shadow. But I do know, I do explain things. Often coaches are like, oh, that's really simple. And that's the way I think of the game. I don't think of it in a very, you know, uber complicated way. Um, and even in my camps or my off-ice training, like I'm always teaching, you know, similar or simple concepts and just reinforcing them. So, you know, often when I go in and work with the younger, lower level teams, you know, I'll say to the coach, oh, here's the mental skills training I do with the junior team. And they're kind of like, oh. And then they're like, wait, you do that with the junior team? Well, yeah, it's the same, the same stuff, right? It, it's, you know, again, it's, it's foundational. Again, would we run slightly more complicated face-offs with the junior team? Maybe, um, you know, or you might have players who might have a little bit more capacity for something like that. Um, but no, I, I think for me, I'm, I'm very open to still learning. And like I said earlier, a lot of these coaches are parents. We have, I think, five or six non-parent coaches. The rest are all parents across the association. So less than 10% are non-parent coaches. Everybody else is a parent coach who has a, as my mother calls a real job. Um, and I can learn a lot from those people, 
right? A, a, a huge amount from those people. So I'm not interested in coming in and telling, you know, there's one or two other coaches in the organization who've coached here as long as I have. I'm not going to go and tell those guys, hey, you got to do it my way or the highway. Absolutely not. And I've been very clear about that already. Um, but, you know, one of the things I think I excel at other than talking is communicating. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm very clear with them about what I am and I'm not going to do even before I hire them. So they have the out right away to go, ooh, Kim's going to be around. Ugh, I don't like her. Peace out. You know, like or whatever. I, I just think I'm very I'm very clear about what I will and won't do. And I've always been like that as a coach and as an instructor. And, and it saved me a lot of headaches and heartaches along the way, I think. To, to bring this to a close, Kim, let's assume that COVID allows us back into the rinks and some semblance of normalcy in September. Yay. Okay, well, <laughs> however one defines normal now. Sure. What are you most looking forward to in, for September? Oh, man, watching the kids on the ice is the best, right? They're just the fun they have and the look on their face. You know, I... I, uh, you know, when I ran this session on, on Friday, I one of my junior players came out and I hadn't seen her since November in person. And, uh, she hadn't been on the ice for like at least a month right? cause the outdoor rinks had melted. And just to see like the energy and excitement she had to be back at it. And we talked for half an hour in the parking lot afterwards and, you know, same thing, you know, seeing coaches and stuff. There's just an energy that comes when you're in the element of what you're actually doing that I can't replicate while I'm training kids in the yellow garage that's the part I really love, right? I love obviously talking hockey. Um, but I, and again, it doesn't matter to me the level or the, I just, I love the engagement side of it um, and seeing them having fun. And I'm really excited to, to get to know and work with the younger and lower levels. It's just not an, a universe. I've really, you know, my skills stuff, we do get house league and, and, you know, B and double B absolutely. And DS. Um, but to, I would really like to entrench myself in that a little bit more to get an idea of, you know, what people's expectations are and why they're there and, and how we can make things better for them. So I'm excited for that opportunity uh, as well. Kim McCullough, thank you so much for your time from Leaside Minor, Girls Minor Hockey Program. And uh, I wish you much luck next season, except against Whitby. Uh, obviously, you know, there's a wildcat way, but we have something else in Whitby, I can't tell you because it's top secret. Oh, okay. Well, you've created something new in hockey. You're the we've, you're the first person we are ever the, yeah. to create something brand new in hockey. The rest of us just steal from each yeah. other. Yeah, you you you're familiar with the flying V? Oh, yes. Yeah, we're gonna come I'm up excited. with another letter. We're gonna try the uh, the crooked X or something. I don't know, but we'll have something. You else. know what? If you can get the girls to buy in, it will probably work. Okay. Uh, They'll right. do anything you ask, which is a All lovely, right. lovely thing. So I appreciate it, Richard. Thanks right. for the time. Okay, Kim, much, nice. much luck to you. Have a, have a great off season, so to speak. And uh, we'll be talking. Yeah, we'll see you. We'll see you around the rings, hopefully in the fall. Absolutely. Take care. <laughs>